Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. After a successful run in the group Sticks, tensions between Tommy Shaw and Dennis DeYoung led to Tommy walking away from the band to pursue a solo career that kicked off with his forgotten single, Girls With Guns. I'm joined this week by Geekscape founder Jonathan London to discuss if Tommy Shaw brought the one-hit thunder or if the song should remain forgotten. Jonathan to choose a song that I never have heard before. Thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot for that, man. <laughs> hey man, I think that our job here at Geekscape of which your podcast is part of the family is to expand our listeners, uh, knowledge of pop culture. And you know what? I am going to try and do that every time I, I get on the mic, uh, this show included. I think that we, we serve a purpose of educating our kids. I want to know how me, as a person who was alive in the 80s and has played music for most of my life and is very knowledgeable about music and doesn't know about this song that was supposedly a hit how do i not know about this song you know what's cr- even crazy about it you absolutely this is what's crazy about it you absolutely know about sticks and damn yankees so you know oh, yeah 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 you know about the bands that tommy shaw was a part of that we book ended his three solo albums, this song being the title track of the first one in 1985. And when I discovered this song, I had the exact same feelings that, that you did. I was like, how do I, how, how have I never heard this song? It completely like rocks to me and is perfect as like an eighties rock song. We obviously know sticks. We obviously know damn Yankees. How do we not know about this song? Right off the bat, this song has the wackiest synth ever. Like I, I, I felt like this should be in like a Tim and Eric skit or something. That is just, <laughs> that is just a wacky synth. It's, it's taken the eighties to the extreme. I, that's what I like about it. You know, and I, I, I've listened to the song many times now and I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I like this song. I, I, 
I assume that you like this song because you chose it. Yeah, it, I mean, it's got like for me, it's the perfect combination of the pop. It's super poppy, and supposedly Tommy Shaw. This is just what I heard. Left sticks because obviously he wasn't getting along with Dennis DeYoung, but he uh, was like, "Oh, these songs are too poppy." Like after doing the concept album with the Mr. Roboto and all that stuff. It's like if somebody had left Green Day after American Idiot and was like, okay, we did a concept album. I'm going to go do my solo thing. And if it didn't end amicably, he then goes and makes this, which is arguably poppier than any of the stuff that sticks did. So you like you leave a band because it's too poppy. And now you're making something that is extremely poppy. Hey, I just look. Okay, first of all, let's talk about it. He actually wrote the sticks hits. Uh he wrote Renegade, and I'm from Pittsburgh. And if you don't know the the Pittsburgh connection to Renegade, it do do you know about Pittsburgh and Renegade by any no. chance? Uh, Renegade is like the Pittsburgh song because when you're at a Steeler game and like say the it's getting down to it's like the fourth quarter, the game is real serious. Like the Steelers are about to to drive and like maybe win the game, the whole stadium gets quiet. And this song starts playing that, that, you know, at the beginning, that's just the vocals. Like, I, I don't even know what they say. It's like, and it's like, oh, you just see like every, every Yinzer's head is about to fucking explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that's, when that kicks in, it is just like, it's just like people lose their minds that is like i don't know why pittsburgh chose that to be like the song but that is like the pittsburgh song and so you know as i mean the song's a hit in general but in pittsburgh it's especially a hit uh and then come sail away obviously a huge hit i i i definitely have some emotional attachment to that song because it is featured at an awesome moment in the first episode of freaks and geeks so this tommy shaw dude he believed in come sail away so much that he personally went to the uh, radio stations to convince them to play it because he believed in that song that much like he put the effort in i respect that it's kind of insane uh how much of a hit maker the guy is because even if he didn't write the song because dennis DeYoung wrote babe which was their only number one song but they have like you said eight top 10 singles 16 top 40 hits Sticks is definitely not a one-hit wonder, but the argument is whether or not Tommy Shaw is on his own. And as I and I, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, this guy's a one-hit wonder. The only song that I really was into was uh, "Girls with Guns," which I only really discovered when I used to write the Miami Vice comic books. I was watching all the Miami Vice TV shows, and it's in season one. And I was like, what is this? This song is incredible because, again, like I said, super poppy has a rock thing going and is just has that eighties cheese and is perfect for something like that Miami vice sort of eighties tone. And, uh, I got addicted to the song cause it's just a fun, fast, uh, song. But then you find out that the dude also had uh, lonely school, which is a pretty good song. And it, that lonely school actually, uh, got to number 60, uh, on the, uh, on the chart. So I'm like, Oh, I know that song really well. And it's one of those songs that you know is like an 80s song, but you don't attribute it to, to Tommy Shaw. And then when you know it's him, you're like, oh, obviously, that's Tommy Shaw. And that's a solo song off of his. So if we're going to start thinking like one hit wonder or not, it's actually pretty ambiguous because obviously the damn Yankees had one huge hit in, in high enough. And then damn Yankees later on also had another hit. But 
Tommy Shaw on his own, like he's kind of this weird enigma of the eighties. Some might argue that he's a no hit wonder, <laughs> but uh, you know, I guess it, that this song girls with guns did peak at number 33. So I guess, you know, it's a bigger hit than I've ever had, but yeah, uh, number three on the top 100 and number six on mainstream on billboards, mainstream charts. Wait, so, no, no, no. Number 33, number 33 on the top 100. There's two different okay. charts here. Okay. And, I, and I'm sitting here like going, Holy crap. Like how, but he, it is like in the one, of, one of the first few episodes of Miami Vice. And Miami Vice was one of those shows that helped launch a lot of careers because that's what people watched. It was Miami Vice Cop. It was basically sold as MTV Cops. And you either made hits on MTV or you made hits by having your song on Miami Vice. Right. Okay. I was I was about to make fact I was about to make fun of the fact that you base what songs are hits or not on whether or not they were on Miami Vice, but you would have shut me down with that fact because you know Miami Vice was before my time. But if that's the fact, you know that's back when people, you know, you maybe you started to have cable, but for the most part, most people only had what was spoon fed to them in their few channels that they had on the television. So if you could get your music into one of those shows on there. Yeah. I, yeah. I, if you didn't, if you didn't have MTV, you had Miami vice, the network show. And like, that was your MTV. And uh, it's crazy from like the, when I was writing the comic from like the fashion to the music, to like the color scheme, you start to see it go everywhere. And it was, I think it was the most influential stylistic show of the eighties. Like, obviously we love a lot of eighties shows and we think about like the eighties sitcoms. And I know you like those shows and that we also have like Knight Rider and Airwolf and all that stuff. But I don't think anything really like epitomized the 80s like Miami Vice. And I think this song became a hit only because of it. And like you said, it wasn't like a Michael Jackson hit. It, right. was, a Tommy, it was a Tommy Shaw hit. It definitely wasn't a Sticks hit and it definitely wasn't high enough. It was, a Tommy Shaw, it was a Tommy Shaw hit. So it's still kind of ambiguous whether or not we can consider him a one hit wonder or not. I think it's funny to think about this guy. Did he... Did he walk away from sticks or did he or was he just like oh, hey i'm gonna make this solo album also or did he quit sticks he quit sticks and he made okay. three albums i mean i think it's pretty incredible that you're in this huge band that wrote renegade and and uh come sail away and you're like fuck this i'm making my solo album and then it's time to play your solo album for somebody like i wrote this sick song man you gotta check us out <laughs> That synth is just so wacky. The cheesiness of it, the cheesiness of it is definitely part of the appeal for me. I fucking love how cheesy this song is. Uh, that that synth is just insane. I I haven't heard. I can't believe that you could make a hit song with that sound. Well, it. I think we're arguing whether or not you can. Like, obviously, it did really well, right. and his career has been insane. But I, I mean, like, that was 1984, and and Matt made a note for me here that at the time that that song hit its peak number 33 the number one song was wham wake me up before you go go so you know even the number one song was pretty wacky yeah you know yeah the number one song was going do the jitterbug <laughs> so <laughs> and I, I was uh, five so i don't think any i don't think i was part of this movement at all well the thing is that both of these songs girls with guns and wake me up before you go go sound like music for five-year-olds so <laughs> it, it, it kind of <laughs> uh, so 
I, it's just funny that there were adults there were adults listening to these songs like jamming them out uh the wackiest stuff it it definitely tells you about the amount of cocaine being consumed in the mid 80s right right i mean it, it it must have been a fun time if if these were the if these were the kind of songs that could become that big at the time it it does sound like a pretty cool time i mean they probably weren't in quarantine right no there wasn't they probably weren't in quarantine but they were coming out of like a disco era where like all those songs were were, were big and people were in the disco era so that kind of pop synth styling was big and then things were moving towards what comes later which is a, a period that you really enjoy which is the hair metal like cock rock era of poison and all those bands that happen and start turning into like guns and roses by the end of the 80s and right. those were mega hits so this is like right in the middle between disco and sort of those am radio bands and and, and disco bands that uh were part of the 70s late 70s early 80s and then the hair rock bands that were in the late 80s going into like 1991 before kurt cobain showed up and just put an end to all of it <laughs> right i mean i feel extremely lucky i mean we're 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 in the general say i think maybe you're a year or two older than me but yeah. but we're in general this the the same era of um when we were very uh influenced by music and things like that and i feel i've talked about this on other episodes but i feel so lucky that right when i was an impressionable angsty preteen and teenager that I had Weezer and Green Day and and Nirvana and like all this great music yeah. instead of like, yeah, the hair metal bands. If I was like, you know, six or seven years older, like that would have maybe been my only, you know, like unless I w was lucky enough to have been exposed to like some cooler like punk rock or indie rock type music of the 80s like if i was subject to just what was popular that may have been what i would have been listening to and i feel very lucky that what was popular was actually music that i still think is like i'm never gonna not think that like pinkerton is cool you know i'm never gonna th not think that dookie's cool like uh, that music sounds awesome still today or, or never mind like, yeah yeah like, of course thank god for kurt cobain for saving us from that stuff but i do think that hair metal does have a lot to give thanks to for the punk rock movement because like or that glam movement because that's all of that disco and bowie stuff where guys are playing ambiguous with the gender and they're putting on the eyeshadow and the big hair and now we've got tommy shaw and these guys with, with all their big hair of the 80s i think it's all part of the same kind of uh spectrum of people experimenting with some kind of theatrical rock band. And I mean, it definitely culminated with the stuff like Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue before grunge came in and tore it all down. But I remember my first cassette tape, the first thing I owned was Billy Idol. Right. Because that Money Money was like a big hit. And I had some knowledge of the Ramones only because like that the, the Ramones were such like an iconographic band. You know, you see the, the Ramones logo and you see the... Uh, the emblem and you just know the Ramones and of course like I want to be sedated but I was just getting into music and of course like like you like Kurt Cobain shows up and now you can start listening to music and I think Mother's Milk from the Chili Peppers is around that same era and like thank God for people on skateboards teaching us how to listen to music because <laughs> otherwise we would have been stuck with hair metal and listening right. to bands like Lion. I You joked about it but I'm not a, like I mean, Guns N' Roses, I don't really consider them a, a hair metal band necessarily. They were kind of their own thing. I do like some Guns N' Roses songs, obviously. But other than them, like, 
I don't like any of it, any of it. It just, it's just, you know, and I was, and it was around when I was a kid and, and yeah. because, because it was around, I listened to boys to men and, uh, you know, whatever Jodeci and whatever. I, I like the R and B music and rap music more than I, I, I thought the rock music was horrible. Like I remember going around as a kid in Guadalajara, Mexico, when I was visiting my, my, my grandparents and I was going from like store to store seeing if they had a copy of, uh, of let look what the cat dragged in and seeing if, that, if it had come out on tape yet. Cause I wanted to listen to it because my, the alternative was listening to new kids on the block or something like that. And I think I was just like, not going to do new kids on the block. I think rock set was another like alternative to that was like listening to rock set. So I think I, I, I ended up with a, a rock set cassette tape cause I couldn't find look what the cat dragged in. Which I think is a poison album. <laughs> I think Matt can correct me on that one. It's, it's, I don't think it's a Warren album. That's a that's a poison album. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would have took Roxette over that for sure. But I took Roxette uh, because that's what they had, and, and Roxette was pretty awesome. Nice, but uh, you know, back to Tommy Shaw. <laughs> it's weird, right? You're like completely like taken back by the fact that you didn't know this thing existed, and suddenly there's a lot to chew on. Yeah. Tommy Shaw was like, I think during the, his period with Sticks, he was dating Linda Blair. And uh, Tommy Shaw is like con- one of these guys who's constantly making music, whether or not you're aware of it or not. And obviously we're aware of the Sticks stuff. We're aware of the damn Yankee stuff. And that stuff we know really well. But I'm kind of interested about the stuff that we don't know. And his three solo albums are part of that. And then the stuff that he does with Jack Blades later, the Shaw Blades stuff is really where that was like my second Tommy Shaw aha moment was just because I'm a big Night Ranger fan, discovering that Jack Blades from Night Ranger, who was also a part of Damn Yankees, had started a, a group with Tommy Shaw called Shaw Blades and that they were making songs. And if you're into like stuff like Night Ranger or you're into stuff like Sticks, that stuff is pretty like in tune with all of it. So <laughs> I remember watching VH1 and they were like these rockers, like the members of Heart and all this stuff. And they were talking about how like rock was going to come back. And it was like early 2000s and these hair metal people were all just so insistent that rock was going to come back and i don't think rock is going to come back i think rock is pretty much dead but it still survives and people like tommy shaw who can kind of go off and do their own music even though they're not selling on radio there is no radio anymore even though they're not on youtube uh even though everything's kind of been taken over by soundcloud <laughs> and all and, and Bandcamp and all these independent artists and it's really hard to make music these days. And I don't have to tell you, like, Chris, how tough the music industry's gotten. Like, this is a guy who just keeps making music and has always been making music, hit or not. And these three albums, there's some good stuff on there. I'm going to argue that his second, second album, What If, even though, like, it, it did make it to number 87 on the charts. Uh, and the, the single on it was a soundtrack song, even though the movie that it was a soundtrack song for didn't turn into a hit. It was... I remember Remo Williams is like a movie that was made to be the American answer to James Bond. And it was Fred, it was Fred Ward. Who's the dude, you know, from tremors. He's like Kevin Bacon's friend in tremors. And Fred Ward was supposed to be like a secret agent, like America's answer to James Bond. And, and on the cover of the, uh, of the VHS tape, which is why I got it. You see him on top of like the arm of the Statue of Liberty with a gun, and there's like a helicopter and all this crazy. I was like, this movie's gonna be fucking awesome. I remember watching that movie and be like, there's nothing awesome in this movie. (laughs) 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 But it has a Tommy Shaw song as the title track. It's insane. 
America's top security experts have chosen this man. Don't take any chances. This guy's a killer. For a special mission. But first, he's got to pass one little test. Speak English. Does your nightingale sing? Hold it! I can do something with him. Goodbye, Mr. Crow. Who's he? No more Boy Scouts. Take a look at this. High altitude reconnaissance probe. Yes, we make that. There is none. Doesn't exist. These men will rob America of her might. He won't be with us for much longer. Unless someone... Relax. ...can stop them. Concentrate! This age, no time for prayer. Remo Williams. <laughs> that's pretty cool i mean the dude obviously is a hit maker i guess sticks continued without him after i i, I haven't continued without him it didn't work and then they reformed in 1990 and then they reformed hey, they tried again with dennis de young and they couldn't get along and then they tried again in in the 2000s and sticks technically is still rocking out they're still playing shows and you'll right. probably see them in like some amphitheater outside you know, town, they'll, they'll probably be playing like some fairground, but Styx is still playing music and Tommy Shaw and, and Jack Blades are still doing their Shaw Blades act. Well, well, that's pretty impressive. I was looking also at like the songs. Oh, it's pretty interesting. Like the songs that were the biggest singles that year, like Careless Whisper. I love that song. Uh, I just called to say, I love you, Stevie Wonder and girls just want to have fun and, and relax from Frankie Goes to Hollywood. All of those songs as I'm looking at this list and I could put wake me up before you go, go and this song in there, they all have like very bold eighties instrumentation. Every mm -hmm. single one of those like has something that's like so eighties about them. Careless whisper of course has the sax. All of these songs are just so, you know, so of that time. So I guess, I guess Tommy Shaw was just trying to push it, push it to the limit. Like how, how 80s can I get? I think he maybe went over the line but with, <laughs> but with, with how 80s he can get with it. But Is that something that you think about when you're a musician, Chris? Like, I'm, I don't have a musical bone in my body, which may be why this song is, like, one of my favorites. But as a musician, is that something that you guys think about when you go in? Do you actually think, okay, I'm going to lean into this genre. I'm going to lean into this influence that's going on right now. When you guys enter a studio, is, is, like, is that something that Tommy Shaw would have thought is, you know what? Um, I have my contemporaries. I see what's on the charts. I'm going to lean into it and I'm going to have this crazy ass synthesizer thing going on in my song and it's just going to be wailing. I mean, yeah, you could for sure think about that. I think in Punchline, we have always tried and, you know, sometimes you could try and be unsuccessful at it, but you try to make sure that the, the sounds and tones and, and, and instruments that you use in your songs don't end up sounding too dated and then you want you want to make things that you hope sound timeless that they're still going to sound cool 50 years from now as opposed to something that just like sounds cool for that year and then now then you listen to it in 10 years you're like oh god what were we thinking you know and when i when i'm thinking about my own band i can definitely like look back on things and mostly for us it would be like guitar tones are, are a big part of it for us like 
things that looking back sound like real early 2000s. Well, I mean, because we were, but like real early 2000s pop punk bands, you know, like you, you definitely, I can definitely listen to like older punchline songs and be like, oh man, but like, I don't think anything's cringy to me. We didn't use any sounds where I'm like, oh, I can't even listen to that. But there's definitely things that sound dated, you know, and I think now when now when we approach songwriting and and more importantly, like the production end of it, like we strive to make things that are going to sound good regardless of what year it is, you know, and, uh, when people yell those songs out at a concert and you hear somebody yell something out off of like major motion picture or action, is that what goes through your head? And you're like, I really don't want to play that because it's dated to me. And I think from an audience perspective, I think people want that kind of nostalgia when they come to see you, at least in part of the set. I think there's, I think every artist deals with that. The main thing about it is you got to be happy that anyone cares at all. You know, so th- <laughs> I think we've talked about this on this podcast before too. Like, like, like the bands that hate their one hit, you know, Yeah. like, come on, give me a break. Like there's a lot of us who would love to have, one hit who have you know strived for decades to like have a hit you know and like to be able to have that boost whether it's financially or just of notoriety so that you can more easily continue to make music like Did that you watch that, the bc boys documentary yet on apple no, TV? no not yet but i want to yeah and it, it is one thing that they struggle with like they definitely struggle with you got to fight for your right to party as being their first major, major hit that brought them onto the scene and sold that album. And that's something that they struggled with all through Adam York's death. I I want to see what you think of that one, Chris, because again, I'm not a musician. Well, they had a bunch of hits though. So like they just struggled with it being their first hit. Like they're the Uh, one that brought all the frat bros and then it turned them into frat bros. It's really worth watching the documentary because like Paul's Boutique is their second album and it falls flat. And that was the one that now people go back and that was their Pinkerton. That was the one where they're like, yeah, I, I loved License to Ill, but now Paul's Boutique is one of the most important rap albums of that era. And nobody listened to it when it came out. I remember it falling flat. My older brother like wore License to Ill out and Paul's Boutique came out and he got it, but I don't think anybody listened to it. And it wasn't until you get into like the Sabotage, those two albums that they made later, that people are really into it uh, again. And they, they, then they kind of redefined who they were, but yeah, they, Paul, Paul's boutique pretty much flattened them out and put them back to zero and licensed it. And, and people are like, Oh, you guys are the ones who do, you got to fight for your right to party. Okay. I'm sure that you see it in the documentary. I haven't seen the documentary yet, but they became more enlightened fellas as the years went by. And whether, whether that fight for your right was kind of a, an act or, or if they were just young and partying at the time, because you know, that first album, there's definitely like stuff that doesn't, that didn't age well on that album. They've surely were not the only artist of that era with, you know, some problematic stuff looking back, but it's like being able to recognize that and say like, Hey, that wasn't cool. Sorry about that. And try to do all you could do is try to be a better person moving forward or better, you know, not saying they're bad people, but it's more like being more conscious of what you're putting into the world, you know? Um, and that's a topic of the documentary. So I'm interested to see what you think of it. Cause they definitely acknowledge that a lot. Cause they were teenagers when that 
thing happened. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. I mean, I think it's important. I think it's really important to, if you're a popular artist, you're influencing, especially young people, so much more than anyone else. You know, Mm -hmm. like, uh, I know that I was influenced. Luckily, luckily, I think my influence, like, to this day, I thank punk rock for, like, my view, which I'm happy that I have the views I have about the world. And and I I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm empathetic. And I don't think I'm better than anyone because of that. I hope, I wish that everyone was empathetic of other people. But I think the punk rock music is like what taught me that before I even knew that I was learning about that. Or, or some level of social awareness. Right, yes. Some kind of awareness beyond yourself. I mean, I know I would definitely be a cooler person today if it wasn't for latching onto Weezer and the Mr. T experience so early in my life. But you know what? I did. And I'm a nerd. So, hello. You're listening to a Geekscape podcast because of those two bands. Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot of I don't think there's a problem with that. I think that I think if anything, that was a great thing that those bands like if you were a teenager and you felt awkward and didn't feel like you fit in and you felt like you felt like a nerd and and all these things then to have someone to look up to and to and basically tell you that that's okay to be that way i think that's so awesome that's so cool you know yeah, i don't know how many people did that with, with poison or molly crew that didn't end up snorting cocaine who were the type of people that were looking up to poison and motley crew and were that would those be people you would ever want to be around because <laughs> i wouldn't want i wouldn't want to be around those people ever uh, well, what do you think I, of the lyrics of this song? Like thinking about this Tommy Shaw song, girls with guns, uh, the guns I'm thinking is a metaphor, but this whole thing is about a, being around with a, a woman who's got the ability to inflict pain on you. Right. Does that make sense? Like, what do you think of these lyrics? Cause they're, eh, I, I don't even know where to go on the lyrics. When I just read them and not in context of listening to the song, they seem like throwaway lyrics uh, yeah you know, like I think, I'm, I think i'm with you on that one uh it seems like you know a lot of times when we're writing a song a punchline it'll be like you send a demo to the other guys and be like hey those are just just basically to get a melody down so you would say like hey if you guys try to think of something better you know it's just so it seems to me like i'll tell you now and i won't tell you twice where when and how i got some bad advice i never thought i could handle a girl with guns and let me tell you you can bet that I'm not the only one. Oh no. I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like now when me reading them like prose, it doesn't simple lyrics can be good in 
when they're sung, you know, like it, it's, it's a, sometimes it's a lot more to lyrics than just, yeah, just reading them. It's the, it's the way they sing, you know, the way certain words sings, the way vowel sounds and consonant sounds work together and things like that. So it's, it's a little bit unfair. I do it all the time. I always do that. I always read the lyrics like that on this podcast. And like, it, you can laugh at it. Uh, you could read punchline lyrics and laugh your ass off if, if you just read them like I just read those because like, it's not meant to be that way. We're not really, not necessarily writing poetry. Maybe a great song will read like a poem. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand of that, which I talk to with my bandmates a lot, sometimes you'll see artists, and I definitely know a lot of them, who you can tell wrote this before there was any music. They wrote these lyrics and they did whatever they could to make those lyrics go to the song. And then, whereas reading the lyrics in the, in the lyric book, oh yeah, that seems like a great song, but then you hear the song and you're like, oh, that just sounds like you just stuffed those words over this music however you could just so you could have good lyrics. But it doesn't always work that way. You know, it, it's, it's a balance. So like looking at the lyrics... Is there something to this song? Like, are, are we not seeing it? Is this song a, really about, uh, is it really like a warning uh, uh, against women who will break your heart or romantic relationships that'll that'll hurt you? Is that kind of what's going on here? Or is it really just these lyrics are kind of silly? Like, how do we want to take this one? Because I'm kind of on the fence. That first part that I just read, like, I can't tell one bit. He said, a girl with guns. I never thought I could handle a girl with guns. Like, I still don't know what the girl with guns part is. Is it literally, literally a girl with guns? Or is it uh, gun meaning like she can shoot you through the heart? Or, she can weaponize your emotions. Right. Uh, but but there aren't that many words to this song. So mo- moving along, it says, stand tall. Don't think small. Don't get your back against the wall. Shoot straight. I can't wait. Aim for the heart and fire away. No. I've come around. I understand today. She's the target now. I'm going to have my way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's almost like you're on the defensive at first and you got to kind of be careful of it. And then yeah. it's like, you know what? I'm going to fight back in this relationship and I'm going to go on the offensive. And uh, and then he gets into the bridge with the innocent bystander part. And I'm like, all right, which way is this? You got to look both ways. You got to know what you're getting into. Okay, easier said than done, as I think everyone involved in this podcast can say with their romantic relationships over the past 30 years. Easier said than done. Yeah, I, I and I honestly, I don't, reading these lyrics, I have no idea what this song is about. That, I mean, we've read... <laughs> we're, I'm just thankful that it hasn't become a recruitment tool for the NRA. Like, they haven't, they haven't just, like, cut this song to clips of, like, women in bikinis shooting machine guns. Like, I'm just glad that hasn't happened, unless it has, and I'm just not aware of it. That that synth that the song starts out with that nothing could sum up my like how I feel about the NRA better than that synth sound. So that that would work perfect. The song's called Girls with Guns, and like it seems to me like you said this song was on Miami Vice. Yep. So there's this show Miami Vice, and there's a, a song called Girls with Guns. It just sounds like no matter what the song sounded like, as long as it was like listenable, it was going to be a hit, especially coming from a guy who was already a popular artist in another band, had connections, worked hard to obviously by pushing sticks to radio stations and kind of knew the ins and outs of the game, probably made this song happen. And I know you like the song. I'm not, I'm not so much of a fan. I, I'm kind of puzzled at how this one 
because <laughs> I like that. I'm glad that you're uh, having. I, I like that you find it challenging. And I got to tell you, the part that it's it played on Miami Vice is during like a montage scene, where uh, course, Cro- or like course. Crockett drives to kind of like the swampy northern middle part of Florida from Miami, and uh, and it's like a it's just a I'm in a cool car and I'm driving and this song is rocking kind right. of montage. And, you know, just talking to you with it, it, it really comes down to the question of whether or not you think this is a one hit wonder or a one hit blunder. Like I right. really don't know because you're close to Cleveland. Did you see the video of him uh, playing with the Cleveland contemporary youth orchestra? He's playing this song. And then he also plays a couple stick songs. Have you watched that on YouTube? No, I have not. He literally is playing this song acoustic and he's being accompanied by a bunch of kids like an orchestra of kids and and it's actually kind of cool um and this is stuff that was done within like the last 10 years uh it's worth watching on youtube and those are cool versions of the songs too they're a little more easy listening but he does girls with guns uh i think he does lonely school uh and he does one or two sticks ones it's on the sticks channel if you or the sticks youtube profile if you go to youtube and you can find tommy shaw like rocking out on acoustic with a bunch of high school kids playing orchestral instruments. You know, the thing about this song is like when I listened to it several times, hearing it for the first time, it is that like wacky synth is what sticks out to me and being catchy. The The chorus of this song, like it just blends right into the verses for me. Like, I don't even know when the chorus is happening. Like everything is just like this uh, run over me with, synth and like upbeat <laughs> uh, like I, I it, it, it the, the song doesn't make a lot of sense to me and the dude obviously is a great songwriter obviously wrote amazing hits and like so that's the part of me that wants to say like the dude the dude brought the thunder as a songwriter no doubt like in his acts that weren't one hit wonders i would say the dude is is awesome but as far as this song a that I didn't know it and B that I, it's just not you, you have might have some sort of nostalgia attached to it. You did. So you found out about it. You didn't know it from the eighties, right? No. When, when you were writing Miami vice comic book. Yeah. So I, I, I know this song only in the last five years and I think I only like it because it makes your teeth feel soft because it's so sugary sack, like, like poppy that it is, complete 80s cheese and i think that's what i like about it because because like you said it doesn't put the brakes on at all and just goes full into the whole 80s cheese that is why i like it also if you made me listen to it on repeat more than 10 times i would start to go insane so again we go back to this question of whether or not this thing is a hit or not you can quantify it and say okay let's just look at the numbers is it a hit yeah it was a modest hit and he had three modest hits during the course of his three solo albums, uh, two on the first album and one on the second one. But ultimately, n- nothing is going to compare to Sticks, and nothing's really going to compare to what he did with Damn Yankees. Like he's sandwiched between like these two much bigger pillars and heights of his career. So I don't know, man. Ask me the question: Is this a one-hit blunder or a one-hit thunder? We're in a real gray area on this one. Because numerically, yeah, this is a modest hit. As far as the the culture remembering this thing 30 years later, we, we don't remember the song. Right. I, I mean, I, I got to go blunder out on this one because I, I mean, most importantly, I didn't I don't know that I didn't know the song before you picked it. But the thing is that like part of that 
one hit thunder verse blunder type thing is like did th- was this artist worthy of having a hit and yeah i mean the dude the dude's a major hit maker so of course i just don't think that this is his is his finest moment like if i was this guy you know i think about like i, I gotta bring everything back to like personal experience or whatever but if me and my punchline friends were like sending each other songs i would probably send them this idea like as like oh let's do this as like this funny thing or whatever i or or let's i wouldn't have considered this to be like oh let's seriously record this as our you know and release it as a single and but once again this was a different time this was 1984 you know people were doing the jitterbug so i i don't know you know yeah, I would love to hear the Aquabats cover this song. Yeah, the, it's yeah. really how how the tone is on this one is like the Aquabats or Nerf Herder would have a lot of fun. Really, the Aquabats would have a lot of fun covering this song, and it would feel appropriate. Punchline, yeah. no, I love it when you guys do your songs. Aquabats, that's a good comparison for sure. I do like your covers EP though, so shout out to that covers EP you guys just put out. Thanks, man. Nineteen ninety four, man. Ten years after this one, dude. Mm-hmm. wow it's crazy how music jumped in 10 years do you think music's made that leap in the last 10 years or have we all just kind of fallen in love with computer music it's really hard oh. to th- when you think that uh, how much the instruments have started to disappear from music because as soon as the instruments started disappearing from music and people started really messing with the the, the computers making the sounds i feel like we've kind of hit a wall and music hasn't really to me, developed that much further. Or maybe I'm just like the people on that VH1 special in the late 90s saying, don't worry, rock will come back, when really the music you grew up on is not going to come back. And I think that if we were talking to somebody who had made a covers EP out of songs from 1984, he would have said this Tommy Shaw song would have definitely been a hit. But you and I, well, summer of, 80, uh, of 94, and this song is not a hit for us. Well, two things. Number one, that night, I, I didn't think about that. That 1984 to 1994 jump in like in music. Stratospheric. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. Wow. Like That's Kurt Cobain so- literally showed up and decimated the music industry. Because within think about it. Months. Within months, it went because- from Poison to Alice in Chains within maybe weeks. It was an enormous cultural shift. It was the only thing that I think the music industry has seen since the Beatles. Where, where you're listening to one type of music one month and then the next month it's completely different wow and and that that's so fast to go from from tommy shaw girls with guns or even you know wham to nirvana in 10 years because think about it, it's 2020 music in 2010 what i mean what was what was popular in 2010 is probably still popular now you know right. t- t- Taylor Swift. 1974, you're 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 also making a big shift, and then if you look at 1964, you're making a giant shift, and then the beginnings of rock and roll in 19 in the early 50s, like I think those leaps were happening every you know you could look at every 10 year slice and see that a giant leap was happening, and then suddenly you get to 2004, and you're like, whoa, well, I don't really think the jump from 2004 to 2014 was that big. Yeah, I don't think I don't even think that the jump from 1994 to 2004 was that big because you had bands like Punchline. <laughs> right. uh, I use I use us as an example sure. who idolized Weezer and were you know and not just not just Punchline. I, I'm I'm saying that from personal experience, but look look at like 
the bands from our world, everyone was influenced by Weezer and making Weezer. Weezer was still making music, uh, you know, that they had come back at that point. Yeah, I don't think that there's been that big of a jump at all. But but I will have to disagree with you on the computers thing, because here's why. I think that now, you know, sitting in front of me on this computer, I have a little MIDI keyboard right there and and uh, programs and plugins where I can access and anyone can access any instrument you want. Now, if you want something that's like a clap, you want a straight up uh, grand piano, you have a grand piano in front of you. You want cellos and violins and things that sound pretty. You have those. And you also have wacky sounding synths. And you also have, uh, you know, any sort of beat you could imagine, any any sort of drum kit you could imagine. So, yeah, but like Jurassic Park, should you? You know, are people jumping right to the tools without understanding the craft of the lessons that go into them like are we getting a lot of really bad musicians fucking around with exactly what you're talking about that's how we ended up with jurassic park man jurassic park was a tragedy like a big tragedy a lot of people died man well <laughs> i think I, I i do think it just takes the the right people manipulating those instruments and then right but the tools yeah. are now accessible to all the wrong people too right and, and how's a good band like your band gonna find its way through all the noise when you got everybody who can hit a laptop putting those things together and clouding up the space online. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's that easy. I still think that people who are music fans can see through that kind of stuff. And yeah, you do see, you know, for every, you know, person who makes some kind of goofy ass song and, and it catches on, there are people that are pushing the boundaries of what you can do with that stuff, you know, like, like Bon Iver and I mean, Beck's always done that. Bjork's mm-hmm. always done that. Uh, Radiohead's always done that. I just think it's, you just got to look, you just got to look for the right stuff, I think. And you'll, you'll find it. And you can't, you can't rely on what's being played at the grocery store or whatever to be the guiding light. Of- but you're in a band with Trevor Leonard and Steve and Corey. And those guys are really, really good musicians, right? Including yourself. What about the person who can't see the noise because it's the musical equivalent of the Kardashians and it's just the loudest thing in the world because they've paid for the cheap Facebook ads and the cheap Instagram ads and suddenly you have this trash in front of your face. Like you guys are competing against that stuff and it's not fair because Trevor's like band should be the biggest band in the world, in my opinion. I'm messing with you, but you you see how how it's a problem? If we're going to talk about pop music i like a lot of it it's very rare that i'm like disgusted by some like pop song because like i'm envious and whatever because most of the time i think they're like pretty good songs yeah we did have lizzo in the last year yeah i mean she's cool and like Mm -hmm. there's so there's so much of it that i i do like and so i do think that like despite the fact that yeah once in a while i think i think that for a while there i was seeing like every like um in in the world that of music that we were involved in you were seeing a lot of people were like oh god that band's horrible how are they so successful and i think that money was a big part of that like you were saying like big money and connections and and whatever and there were a lot of things being thrown against the wall and like it was a little frustrating to see bands blow up overnight because they had certain haircuts it was insane but i haven't felt that way in a while i kind of I kind of like 
maybe I'm just not like knowing about maybe these sort of bands still exist. You I know just more than I do. So maybe the truth is that what you said, the tools and the computers and the access to all those different abilities is really the great democratizer. And now music's just getting democratized. Yeah, because I, I don't think I hear songs that it's just where I'm like, oh, that's just a pre-programmed thing in Logic. And he's just, I don't, I, usually like I'm impressed with, how people used the, what they they have access to and the other thing about it is like because you have access to all that stuff it's easy to go overboard with it so when you hear something stripped down and, and pretty sounding and um you know i i i don't really think rock music is dead or whatever like i think that i just think that it's more like um maybe the maybe people need a little bit more ear candy in those in the songs, but I still think a good song is, is a good song. And like, I, I even personally, like sometimes I, I need a little more than just, uh, you know, two guitars, drum and bass. Like I, I need a little, a little extra, but like, I don't know when it comes down to it, a good, good rhythm and, and, uh, a cool melody. And I don't know. And, and something that makes you feel something. Uh, well, you still... said ear candy. And that's definitely what I think, uh, girls with guns is. Oh yeah. That's like ear gummy worms oh, that's what i'm saying like your tooth get your like teeth get like wobbly and soft it's so freaking sugary yeah, yeah for sure maybe i'll get maybe it'll grow on me too keep in mind i didn't even know this song yep i'm educating you chris welcome to the geekscape family cool so so thunder you're gonna thunder on this one i'm good I don't, you know what i don't think i am Wait, you, you like this song and you I, pick I, it. I really enjoy this song but when you look at everything that we've talked about can you quantify it? Like this song has sunk beneath the heights of his other tracks. Like this is the lull in his career, which is insane because this song definitely like on paper is a modest hit. Right. Could you imagine your modest hit being like the lull in your career? (laughs) Sign me up for that career. Well, you could sign me up for any career where I have a song that hits number 33. I'll take it. Uh, we'll get you there, man. Just keep making music. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Been it's been a pretty good episode. Thanks. For, I love uh, talking to you. You're one of my best friends. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, ha- having having this podcast be part of the uh, Geekscape landscape. Of course, man. Like we, I think we built this, and Matt ke- has been d- doing a good job of making sure there are shows on the uh, network that are diverse and have cool personalities on them, like you. I think Matt did an awesome job covering for you for the last couple episodes Uh, but it's also great to have you back man because i kind of wanted to build geekscape as a place where all my friends could do creative stuff together under one roof and i could just kind of help celebrate all my friends creativity and their voices and all that and you definitely 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 are one of those people thanks man and yeah hell yeah shout out to matt matt rules he did a great job uh, on those episodes (laughs) did did he ever tell you that i thought we were we were going to be co-hosts on this show. And then when we went to record the first episode, he was just like, okay, go ahead. And I was like, oh, you're not going to talk. <laughs> I, I haven't heard that, but um, I would not uh, crack that door open uh, unless you want it completely blown off the fucking hinges. I, <laughs> I like, I would I gladly welcome that door being open. <laughs> I don't think there's a door you can shut once you do. It's like, uh, it's like Pandora's box. I don't think you want to open it, baby. 
No, I'm okay. I'm okay with opening that box. You want your episodes to be three hours long, pal? Yeah, I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) We love Matt, and I love Matt. He's like a brother to me, but so are you. Hell yeah, man. All right, cool. So, so, uh, Tommy Shaw. has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is produced by Matt Kelly as part of the Geekscape Network and hosted by Chris Fafalius of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah. You're hearing Don't Try This at Home off the Punchline album 37 Everywhere, which this week's guest, Jonathan London, directed the music video for. Visit punchline.com for updates as well as news, merch, and future tour dates. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting apps. Tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.